This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by L3 Harris. Carry confidence with you. L3 Harris provides ultra reliable portables and mobiles that are designed by and for those on the front lines. Learn more at l3harris.com. Well, you're listening to Policing Matters on policeone.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, in today's episode, we are speaking about smart technology to address gun violence. United States gun violence deaths are more than eight times more common than Canadian gun violence deaths and more than 100 times more likely than the UK gun violence deaths. Our guest today is the right man to address these issues. I've known Jason for like up to 10 years now. He's got over 24 years of law enforcement experience. He's presently the chief of the city of Las Vegas Department of Public Safety, where he oversees deputy city marshals, the city jail, animal protection service of almost 400 personnel. Previously, he was the captain of the Vallejo Police Department in California, where he served for over 22 years and led the department's operations, investigations bureau, and emergency services unit commander. He's a strong advocate for evidence-based policing and serves on the board of directors for the American Society of Evidence-Based Policing, and and is a National Institute of Justice Leeds alumni. He recently served on the Violent Crime Working Group with the Council of Criminal Justice and is a National Policing Institute Fellow When he's not busy doing all of that, he's also a military reserve special agent with the United States Coast Guard Investigative Services. Jason Potts, thank you for your service and thanks for what you're doing for law enforcement with evidence-based policing. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Honored to be here. Yeah, so I knew I knew you when you were at Vallejo and you were dealing with real crime. And I tell you this, I mean... We know a lot of chiefs in, the, in their background. You are tried and true, cops, cop, chasing bad guys, uh, bringing them to justice, all that. Now you are at, I don't know what they call it, Fun City, that you're the director of public safety and the chief of Las Vegas Police Department. Congratulations. Uh, I hope you can talk because I know your city motto is what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. What can you tell us today? World's greatest city in the in the world there, uh, Las Vegas, in my my humble opinion. Uh, but yeah, Vallejo, just to qu- quickly go back to Vallejo, such an up-tempo experience there. We had 28 murders in, in 2020 and 269 shooting events. And yeah, it was uh, it was unreal. And we all know from 2019 to 2020, it was a 30% increase uh, in violent crime just in that one year. And a lot of it had to do with COVID and all the issues with that and the social strain. But yeah, um, just really, uh, it's, it's, I have a great team here in, in Las Vegas, City of Las Vegas, Department of Public Safety. And just quickly what that is, uh, we are not uh, a 911 agency. So when you call 911, you get the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. And they are the premier law enforcement agency in Southern Nevada. Uh, sheriff McMahill is outstanding. And he has a great group uh, underneath him with his assistant sheriffs and his deputy chiefs. So uh, it's just great to be a partner with them. Uh, you know, as you said, we have our city jail. Uh, we have an average daily population of about 500. And we have our city marshals that really get after it in our tourist corridor. And that's where um, we're really trying to make an impact. We've done some things such as Operation Safer, which stands for Stronger Alliance for Enforcement and Relationships. And, 
Yeah, it's been it's been great. So we handle the Fremont Street area. We have the Strat area, all of the city of Las Vegas, uh, and then all of our parks. We have over 80 parks and um, our city facilities and that kind of thing. So it's been good. Yeah, I've been to Las Vegas a number of times. Fremont Street, for those who don't know, is sort of opposite of the, the big strip that we all no, but a lot of activity there, a lot of unusual behavior there. Uh, what did you do for prepping uh, before you got to Las Vegas? How yeah. would so you look the first at? Thing, I'm sorry. What'd you look at? So what I look at, so the first thing I did is I did my homework and what I found is that, you know, we, we were a little uh, short on uh, the knowledge uh, about what DPS is and we've, we fixed that. Now, if you went to our Department of Public Safety website now, you'd see a much different uh, webpage uh, on what the Department of Public Safety is. But the first thing we did when, when I, well, the first thing I did when I got there is, you know, got with my team, which outstanding, by the way, I have a really good leadership team and just assess the culture. And one of the things when I think about a culture, I think about how you reward how you measure and you how, how you hold people to account. And when we talk about measurements, you know, there's this management saying what gets measured gets managed, what gets inspected gets expected and what's counted counts. And so if you really look at that, it's just measurements in data and looking at data, not just for the sake of data, but data in good context, right? Good denominators, looking at good variables. Uh, and when we talk about variables, staffing issues, seasonality effects, other partners, and then using good comparison groups. And I know we're going to talk about evidence-based policing, but that's really just looking at informing your decisions based on the best available data, science, and research. It's really, really critical that we do that. So, Yeah, and, and that's just outstanding that you go in there with your eyes wide open, you know what problems are ahead of you, and you start to form your leadership and your organization to deal with those kinds of things. Um, I came across an article. I, I'm a FBI NA um, associate, just like you, and I get the magazine, and I'm reading this article about how technology can help stop shootings or, or get your evidence-based uh, locations uh, in front of you. And then I saw it was written by Jason Potts, and I said, oh, I've got to talk to him about this. Uh, what led you to this article, and what can we tell our listeners about using technology to address these shootings? Yeah, I think it's just really my association with the Violent Crime Working Group through the Council of Criminal Justice with Thomas App. We're proud of that. Uh, that came out uh, last year, actually 2021. And so it's really, um, you know, really looking at the 10 principles that we can do, right? It's a problem-solving approach using data analysis and creativity to come up with a focused and balanced approach to combat gun violence. And I usually, I like to say this, you have to be very precise. And, and Bill Bratton talks about that, you know, having precise precision-based policing, another hyphenated form of policing, right? Evidence-based, problem-oriented, you, you name it, uh, it's out there. But it's really just kind of a, it's it's really, you know, partnering with your, your community. It's not a either or, it's a both and. Uh, we need to be focused. We need to be balanced in our approaches to combating gun violence. And it's really um, looking at how we how we measure, and we talked about that, there, there's outputs, right, in policing, there's arrests, citations, and contacts, but what does that lead to on outcomes? And outcomes are less victims. And if we really can chase less victims and really measure that, uh, then we're winning. That's really what it's about. And then we talk about hotspot policing, and there's a thing called the COPER curve. If you go out to a hotspot every two hours, 
for 15 to 20 minutes and there's going to be a residual deterrent effect. And you have to go out there sporadically every two hours. And if you do that, you're going to, again, you're going to have an impact. And then we talk about hot people, right? There's that three to 5% or even less than that, that account for most of the crime, three to 5% of a, a location account for 50 to 60% of a, um, uh, of the crime in, in any, in any jurisdiction. So yeah, hotspot policing is really, really important. Yeah. And you, you, I don't know if you realize that you touched on a bunch of Peelian principles or Robert Peel, you know, we're, we just celebrated 200 years of him and he talks about the need for data. He talks about the community relationship with police and he talks about prevention as being our best bet prevention though, as you're well aware is hard to quantify. You've said data I'm tracking you. I've got a crib sheet over here. You've got like You've said data like 20 times. Where are you getting your data? Nibers, uh, uniform crime reports, they're yeah. all messed up. Uh, 60% of our agencies are, are submitting our crime data. Where are you getting yours? Yeah, so really good point. And we're not doing it perfect. Uh, we're still cha we're challenged here in Las Vegas. So it's from our crime analysts, right? And, and the problem with data and policing Sometimes it's just hard to get the data. Is it data in context? Is there that whole garbage in, garbage out? So, you know, fortunately, Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department has a robust real-time crime center. They have great crime analysts. So we do leverage some of that data. We have our own crime analysts. Um, I think Herman Goldstein talks about having at least one or two crime analysts per, I think, per one, 100 um, officers. And so if you could do that, you'd be doing pretty well. And so, yeah, we're not doing it well, but looking at incident reports, uh, we have uh, GIS uh, mapping, hotspot mapping, all the stuff that most uh, jurisdictions are, are using. Uh, it's really important. And then just not having data, but what do you do with that data? Are you sharing that data? And I just wanna put a plug for a person by the name of Lou Hayes. Uh, out in the Chicago area, what he's doing with Real Time Crime Center. I had a conversation with him last week, uh, and he, he he's doing like Slack channels, um, and he's really just kind of again, this is hitting on uh, sharing of data and using these Slack channels, which are free, to kind of coordinate with other jurisdictions on who the hot people are, who the hot, what's the hot property, where are the hot locations, and actually really kind of coordinating all their efforts through this Slack channel. And I thought it was really interesting. And it reminded me of my days when I was working narcotics and we never had an area to kind of like, hey, what did this informant say? And, and you probably, I don't know if you've ever worked in narcotics. I'm sure some of the folks in the audience have. And back in the day, you you talk to an informant, you scribble some notes down on a piece of paper, you throw it in your drawer. And you're like, man, who, what did that so-and-so, -so, what did he say? What did that guy say? And what we did in Vallejo, I remember is like, man, I'm just going to put it on an email. I know now we're in public records requests. Back in the day, we didn't worry about that too much, but we put in an email and then be able to query, you know, um, Intel, crime Intel, CI debrief form number one. And we query it through our email system and be able to go, hey, so-and-so said this, you know, um, hey, uh, you know, whatever, Daryl said this, CI 333 said this, and, and then we'd be able to get that information. But anyway, I I'm throwing that out there because, uh, it was pretty creative that he was able to do that and just kind of do it with a free uh, Slack channel. So is that open source or law enforcement sensitive? You know, I think it's law enforcement sensitive. Um, but yes, yeah, good, good point. Um, I think they're they're working through that. And I know the, the Slack folks are probably looking at maybe they're onto something over there in the, in the greater Chicago area. But 
I encourage the audience to check out Lou Hayes and what he's doing. He's put some stuff on LinkedIn about his real-time crime center and what they're doing. He's really pushing that as well. So yeah, so I just, a little plug for Lou. I'm sure Lou will hear this and probably appreciate it. So yeah, I just <laughs> noted. I'm gonna I'm gonna check him out. Um, we had one of your your local evidence-based uh, residents there, Dr. Tamara Harold at UNLV. And I don't know if you know her, but she is just fantastic in talking about evidence-based uh, and place-based uh, crime. She's got a, a great uh, series of articles on it. She was a great guest. Uh, you working with her at all? You, you, um, you know, it seems like we're all working in silos again. It, it's like back to the future, right? Until Nybers gets 80, 90% reporting, we're just kind of on our own. Yeah, no, and I haven't, unfortunately. I do know uh, Tamara, and she's uh, outstanding. She's not at UNLV right now. She's at, took a little hiatus, I believe. She's at DOJ somewhere. Um, but I know there's Professor Sousa that's over at UNLV and done some stuff with Las Vegas Metro. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to do that. I've been here seven months. Uh, it's just trying to you know, figure out where we're at and, and, and do the best we can with our, 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 our city and, and um, you know, looking at the lay of the land, uh, as any police leader does. And and just really um, looking at some of our leadership principles. And we briefly talked about that before I got on the air with you and, and just really looking at how um, we do things, having that inward versus that, having that outward versus an inward mindset and really looking at people as people and seeing each other uh, is really, really critical. And I've been focused on that lately, you know, trying to be devoid of ego and doing the, and doing the right thing for folks. Painting, providing a canvas for others to paint on is what I've been uh, talking about lately. So showing our yeah. Right. Totally. And, and you and I talked before we started recording about leadership and, um, you know, people focused leadership. And it's really something we need today. Uh, we talked about so many issues about, um, you know, leaders who can be laser focused and yet be devoid of what else is going on with their personnel and how that's a real problem, especially today where morale is a huge issue in, in law enforcement and, and the trickle down effect to recruiting and, and everything else. Uh, so absolutely, there is so much information there. I tabbed you for another segment where we just talk about uh, those leadership roles and, and how we can get that message to leaders across the country. I would say this, a quick little snippet is that we're not getting there unless we're taking our taking care of our people. Right. Our people are our greatest resource. You know, a lot of police leaders will say this. You can't get your cops uh, or your corrections officers to police or to do things. There's the autonomy of policing, right? At the corner of uh, walk and don't walk at 3 a.m. unless they feel trusted and supported. And that starts with our sergeants and truly trusting and supporting them. One of the things I've said, one of the most important leadership principles, I think, is that I trust you. Get it done. You know, trust begets trust. Mm -hmm. Distrust begets distrust. Uh, obviously, you have inspections and checks and balances, and we can get off on a tangent on Memphis and all the, the problems with that. That's for another show. Um, but there's lack of supervision sometimes and a lack of leadership, and it really starts with us. We have to model that. Um, the procedural justice tenants, right? Explaining that our motivations are good, explaining the process, showing that we care, showing that we give a shit. And if you do that, your people are going to usually uh, respond. So. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm, I am so resisting going down this rabbit hole <laughs> right. because two things you just said, like set me off. And that is, you know, training and leadership is so essential in making sure our specialized units don't go off the rails or, you know, off the reservation. And, you know, reading their own press, 
You know, you talk about, man, you start calling yourself tactical and special, man. You start reading your own press. You know, we talk about right. soberness of mind. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Just steady, steady yeah. is the way and devoid of ego, man. Ego is what's going to get you. That's what's going to bask in your greatness. It's going to make excuses for things when you're down. It's just, it's, it's, it's all bad. It's, yeah. Yeah. And it's the, it's yeah. Okay. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, Hey, I want to take a break and thank our sponsor, but I want to get into the technology and the things that you're talking about and maybe some emerging technology, but uh, let's thank our sponsor. When seconds matter, count on dependable coverage on and off campus. L3 Harris offers flexible and affordable portables. Communicate on the move with Wi-Fi voice and data, GPS, and app-based devices that keep you connected. Schedule your demo today. Learn more at l3harris.com. And we're back and I'm speaking with uh, Chief and Director of Public Safety in Las Vegas, uh, Jason Potts, and all his experience. And we're talking about leadership and we're talking about data and we're talking about working with the community and trusting our people and good leadership. But the article that you wrote about in the FBI NA uh, magazine was about using technology and just about every agency's got access to ALPRs, the automated license plate readers. Uh, some agencies have thrown shot spotter up on power poles after using data to find out where their hotspots are. What else is out there? What else are you using? Yeah, so you hit it. Um, security cameras is another one, right? And so I think what's happening with the artificial intelligence is what's happening. And so, for example, Data Buoy is another vendor. It's it's similar to ShotSpotter, and I call it auditory gun detection. Uh, the other vendors out there, Flock Safety is has an offering called the Raven. Um, I'm sorry, the Owl. Actually. I'll take that back. The Raven is their auditory detection um, offering. But what it does is, so for example, if there's a gunshot in a park, uh, it'll pair with, you know, using the artificial intelligence, it'll pair with a security camera, which now will alert dispatch or alert officers on their mobile data computers or dispatch and having them uh, be able to get out there pretty quickly. And I briefly talked about the real-time crime center with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, but man, their clearance rates, and I, I don't know if we we're going to get into clearance rates, but the clearance rates are so critical to how we combat gun violence. Because if you in increase your clearance rates, now you have these these bona fide shooters that are now incapacitated that are in, in jail instead of out in the streets. And it shows, it signals to our community that we care. Uh, you know, when you get your clearance rates up to 80, 80, 80 plus percent, which I think Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department is, they do a great job, man, with their uh, with their real time crime center. They really do. And having all of those leveraged technology into this big room, uh, um, man, phenomenal work, uh, really. Um, that 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 police department is top notch. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and since we're throwing around, uh, you know, vendors, Fusus, and oh, I yeah. have no connection to Fusus, uh, and the Cap Index, you know, are really good resources at finding uh, crime data from other sources outside uh, law enforcement. Um, I don't know a lot about fuses. I've invited a chief who wrote an article about it to come on and talk about it. But from what I've seen, it looks great. Uh, you know, user friendly is something that we really need in law enforcement. Cop proof. Yeah. Cop proof. Right? right. Because you talked about that one to 100 ratio of analysts earlier. But truth be told, when the legislative uh, body above you says, hey, cut your. Um, your expenses, who's the first to go? Civilians, right? 
Yeah, so that uh, Fusis is, I actually did see a demo of that. And really what it does is it gets all of your technology into one location. So it's your security cameras, your license plate readers, your auditory gun detection, your drone type stuff. All of that's in an area, facial recognition, responsible facial recognition. I'm a little bit still uh, worried about that from California. Sorry, I get my little thing here. Uh, from California. And uh, anyway, it's it's responsible facial recognition is is really key. But um, FUSUS, is it FUSUS? FUSUS, I think it's FUSUS or FUSUS, but they actually do a pretty good job of getting all that information to one location, so. Yeah, no, I think, you know, a common operating platform that anybody could walk in off the street, look at and go, wow, there's that, there's that. It goes back to what Tamara Harold and, you know, a lot of people have been saying. SEPTED talks about the things that we can do to identify the, the problem hotspots and what we can do to sort of mitigate or rectify, clean up. Um, you've got great community um, outreach, your uh, social media, you're on it every day. Uh, what's So using technology in places like where I am in California, there's pushback. Uh, we don't want cars stopped anymore. It's okay to ride around with a license plate being covered. And you know that you know, those are precursors to crime in a lot of situations. What's the community uh, support for using technology in something like as critical and controversial as facial recognition? So in Las Vegas, much different than California. And I've always said this, I remark all the time, is that we have this gift of support here. Um, they support their police, which is much generally speaking, uh, different than what I dealt with in the Bay Area um, in, in the North Bay. Vallejo is between Oakland and Sacramento for our audience. Um, and so, yeah, we uh, haven't had much resistance, although we're pretty responsible and pretty measured uh, in what we do here in Southern Nevada. But in California, we had a surveillance advisory board, uh, and they seem to be anti-technology, uh, which really was bizarre to me, um, especially when you're dealing with trigger pullers. These are people who are impacting uh, our marginalized and disenfranchised communities at high rates, and, and we need to incapacitate them. Those are those folks, we need to, you know, there's there's three types of shooters. There's someday shooters, there's would-be shooters, and then there's these bona fide shooters. You know, we can intersect with the someday's and the would-be's, but man, these bona fide shooters need to really, we need to really just get after that. And I, I like to say this when I'm talking about policing, we need to fish with a spear instead of fish with a net for, to, to avoid those disparate outcomes. And you know the, the stats, right? 17 to 18,000 murders a year uh, in this country and 75% or more are with guns. So we need to be harm focused and harm focused is really just thinking about our disparate outcomes, intelligence led, looking at the hot people and then problem oriented, looking at the underlying causes of crime. And then, of course, we talked about evidence based, um, mm -hmm. looking at, you know, research and data and science. And I just want to go quickly go back to what I was thinking about with um, some of these some of the data and stuff and some of the challenges you know, these Windows-based data systems that aren't caught proof. And I think we need to get to a point where there's cloud-based. I should be able to pull, pull in information and say, Jim Dudley, and get everything about you and be able to vet it down or funnel it down from there. And we're not there yet, unfortunately. And a lot of these data, these vendors kind of hold their data and they don't share it, which is un, which is unusual to me. Um, and we need to get to a point where we have these cloud-based real-time crime centers that that are using artificial intelligence and not having to have a... a, a crime analyst or a person look at a screen and be able to tell us and alert us to, for example, motion detection in a park. That stuff is critical. So Yeah. And I think, I mean, you, you hit a good point there where I think like I hear from students and I know a lot of uh, non-law enforcement people who think every data center is like Jason Bourne's 
data center, right? Yeah. We could see him on the Muni Metro and underground and on an airplane. Right. And he's always, oh, he's, he's buying a ticket for Guam right now. Yeah, it is not like that. And, you know, we are still going to, you know, multiple databases to try to find out this one person. Mm-hmm. You're talking about, you know, one-stop shopping. When you talk about technology and then you bring up the firearms issue, uh, what are you seeing with ghost guns, um, DNA, you know, your district attorneys, your prosecutors, are they, are they asking for these multiple data checks before they prosecute like DNA? Yeah. So we saw it in, in California and Vallejo and we were seeing it here. You know, a lot of our uh, last couple shootings on Fremont street have been juveniles, young juveniles, 16 years old, mm. which is unusual. Mm. It's just alarming that folks are, are carrying these guns. There's a lot more guns on the streets. We saw that from that jump from 2019 to 2020. But yeah, it's just, it's um, unbelievable. These unserialized firearms, ghost guns, you can actually make a gun. And I, I know our audience know this, knows this with a kit. Um, and some of these are even, they're obviously they're untraceable and some of them are plastic and you can, they're almost undetectable. They're not very reliable. I mean, we, we should say this, these, these ghost guns do jam, but they're getting to the point where they're getting pretty good about how they're doing it. Uh, our folks are out there. And unfortunately, we don't have a shaming culture with our young people. And we need to get to a point where, where these kids get shamed into doing this. And there needs to be consequences for their behavior. And, and right now, um, you know, prosecution isn't very swift and certain. You know, just get on my soapbox a little bit. It's just not. And it needs to be. Uh, we need to have consequences. That's how you change behavior. And right now, it's not that case. And we need to get to a point where um, we do have that. I mean, I remember few years ago in New York had those that, that impact. And I remember an NFL player by the name of Plexico Burris mm-hmm. um, that was in a club and shot himself. And he went to he went to prison or jail for two years. Just just think about that. That's that's an NFL player that went in, in, in New York said, you know what? Nope, that's it. That's the sanction. You know, you're going you're going to jail. You're you're going to pay your debt to society. And there's a consequence to behavior. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. No, I mean every politician will tell you they are against firearms but then when it comes to prosecuting and keeping and like you say you know the the frequent flyers the chronic offenders you know why and it's part of the bail reform issue that again another rabbit hole but we keep letting these people we're against the gun but sometimes we're not so against the guy holding the gun and that's got to change too it's always somebody else's fault right and yeah. it's always like you know, we just forget that, listen, you know, they have to, there, there's consequences. We're law enforcement. We enforce the law. You put the laws on the books, then then that's our job to enforce it. Yeah. Simple. You know, it should be simple. <laughs> so it's, it's not so simple sometimes. And anyway. Yeah. And I think, you know, the mandatory minimums and, you know, sentencing guidelines and, and these uh, bail schedules that we had that were one size fits all that you know, the, the public didn't swallow that so well. And so what did we do? Did we modify it? No, we threw it out. And now we're back to, you know, anything goes. Hey, I want to thank you for spending so much time with us today. And we are definitely going back to record about leadership and, and all the things that you've talked about and you're talking about. And, you know, the back East, you're, you're traveling to DC and you're, uh, Cambridge, and uh, you are on the board with the American Society of Evidence-Based Policing. What's happening with uh, that group? Yeah, thank you for that. So a little plug here. So May 15th through the 17th, we're going to have our conference, our American Society of Evidence-Based Policing Conference. 
it's it's a great conference. Obviously, I'm biased. I helped co-found it, co-found it with the Brene Mitchell and our board. Uh, it's just it's a great conference. We offer you know, our you know, our research briefs. We offer uh, Justice Clearinghouse webinar. But May 15th through the 17th at UNLV, uh, some of the topics are going to be on wellness, hotspot policing. Wellness is a big topic right now, and policing is really taking care of our cops. Um, and so we're going to have. Just looking at my notes here, um, um, Copra Curve and Hotspots and Gun Violence, um, BWC Analytics, uh, De-Escalation, uh, Recruitment, Risk Terrain Modeling, all that good stuff. And so the, the, the thing about our conference is that you get to interact with some pretty well-known criminologists such as Jerry Ratcliffe. Cynthia Lum is going to be a keynote, uh, our very own Renee Mitchell. These are major criminologists, and Jerry Ratcliffe has a great podcast. I know you can kind of compete with him on reducing, reducing crime, but Jerry, a uh, plug for that for that podcast. You guys, I encourage folks to check it out. He does just a great job, and he's funny, and it's it's fun. Not as good as yours, Jim, but you know. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> hey, uh, oh, I think uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash has a song about that. Hey, uh, Jerry Radcliffe, uh, if you join, if you check his website and join his group, uh, you get these training materials that I've used. Uh, he's got some great resources on his website. Uh, I'm going to try to make it out there, maybe record from there. So I look forward to great. that. That'd be great, please. Um, you know, it, it's going to be great. And Cynthia Lum, she talks, about, I mean, she's just a well-known criminologist out of George Mason University, and she did some stuff on with, with hotspots. And Chris Coper, we talked about that briefly in the Coper Curve. And so mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a treat. Um, yeah. Folks Laura, are gonna Laura Huey, Laura Huey be there? Oh, yeah. C uh, Canadian Society of Evans Basic Policing. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, you, you so you know Laura. Yeah, Laura's great. She's been on the show. Yeah, she's great. Okay. Yeah, she is great. All right. Well, uh, hey, get back to it. Las Vegas. Don't tell what you're doing, but uh, hey, be safe out there and, and keep it going. You are doing a, a tremendous job there. I appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for the kind words and uh, same to you. All right. Take good care. Hey, to our listeners, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. Check uh, Jason Potts out at American Society of Evidence-Based Policing. Check him out at Las Vegas. Uh, public safety and all the things they're doing there. He's on LinkedIn. He's all over the place. So check him out doing good things there. Hey, stay safe. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. You got something for me? Drop me an email at policingmatters at police1.com. Policingmatters at police1.com. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. Take good care. <laughs>